it was a similar theme in his letter to the Corinthians where he describes how the gospel was preached among them. And the way that he describes that is that it was preached in power. And, and that was an important distinction. Because what he was trying to say then, and what he was trying to say to the church in Thessalonica, is that, uh, that it wasn't just an argument that he won. In other words, they, they weren't just there and he had a better argument, and so they just said, okay, I guess we'll just believe you because we can't think of any way to rebut what you're saying. It wasn't, an, a, it wasn't really an exercise of intellect. It wasn't an exercise of, of uh, persuasion. But it was something that God did among them. And he was reminding them of that. He was reminding them that this isn't just an intellectual pursuit. This isn't something that uh, is, is, was accomplished just by being an eloquent speaker or just by having the best argument or just by giving the best examples or telling the best stories or anything like that. But God had actually moved in their midst. And he had actually done something in their midst in power of the Holy Spirit, and they had responded to that. And so he wanted to remind them of that. He wanted to remind them that that's the way that the gospel was ministered to them. Now, I think there's a couple reasons why. Number one, he wanted to remind them of that because he he wanted to, I think, point out that God had really set his heart on them. And and sometimes it's important that we we kind of get that God sets his heart on us and that's how we hear him, that's how we experience him, uh, that's how we find life in him, is because he first sets his heart on us. The Bible talks about how that he loved us first, before we could ever love him, that he already loved us, that while we were still doing our own thing, and while we were still in darkness, and while we were still ignoring him, and while we were still in active rebellion against him, or we were still going about our own business, he loved us during that time. And because he loved us during that time, then eventually we came to a point where we were able to hear him, we were able to see him, able to experience him, able to find life in him, but only because he had set his heart on us first. And, and it's important, I believe, for us to consistently understand that. And it always gives you a point to worship at, if you remember that. If you remember that he set his heart on you first, if you remember that he loved you first when you didn't even know he was there, or he loved you when you were actively angry at him, or he loved you when you were in rebellion against him, or he loved you when you were at your lowest point, or he loved you however you want to think about it, but he loved you then, that always gives us the point of worship. Uh, that if we're, you're ever stuck, it's like, well, what am I going to worship God for today? That's a good one. It's always a good one to remember that he was loving you before you gave him the time of day. And and so there's a faithfulness in that. There's a love beyond that which we can understand. There's a, a love that goes deeper and deeper into his grace and his mercy that we need to dive deeper into. But it's a it's just a great example of how much he loves us, that he would be after us even before we were after him. And so he's reminding, I believe Paul's reminding the church that God has set his heart on them, that it was before Paul ever got there. It was before Paul ever presented the gospel. It was before Paul ever you know, brought out whatever truths that he brought out. It was before all the miracles, signs, and wonders, but God had already prepared them 
and God had already set his heart on them and had already begun loving them before Paul even arrived in town. And uh, if you know the story about Thessalonica uh, in the book of Acts, when Paul first visited there, he got, ran out, he got run out of town the first time he was there. And if you know the story, he, they, they got all upset. Uh, and, and so he, he got run out uh, of there at least the first time. And he ended up some other places. And he ended up uh, preaching the gospel in Berea. Or he ended up in Athens or wherever he was going to go. But understanding that his initial reception by the people there, they, they weren't very happy with him. And so that, that was the case in a few places that Paul went. If you read his story about, he'll talk about all the things that he went through about being flogged or about being beaten with rods or being stoned or being left for dead. There are all these examples of people not really wanting to hear what he had to say. And so that, that's what you have here is that these people really didn't want to hear what he had to say when he first got there. But eventually there were enough people there that heard the message. There were enough people there that heard the word. There were enough people there that were able to receive what God was saying through the power that was manifest there that then were able to start and able to found a church. But it wasn't easy and it wasn't simple and it wasn't all at once. And I know we like things like that. We want things to be that way. It just doesn't work that way all the time. And if you if you ever sit down and talk to any of our missionaries, they can tell you that. That you start establishing something somewhere is not easy. It's not easy to start things. Uh, once things are going, uh, you can kind of keep them going. And, and that's, a, that's a whole different ball game than actually just showing up somewhere fresh and trying to start something from nothing. Uh, and, and that can be really difficult, and it doesn't always look the same every time you do it. Now, I did that for a living for years, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years, where I would go on to a college campus or a university campus and just start something. And it's not, it was never easy. And it, it really never, hardly ever looked the same, depending on where I was. And so I was always careful not to set any kind of, well, this is the way it's got to go because it didn't always go that way. Or this is how it's got to happen. Well, it didn't always happen that way. Or this is the order, the way things are supposed to go. Well, it didn't, it didn't happen that way either. I remember um, there was a place I went called Cobleskill. And at the time, it was a two-year school. And most guys that were doing what I do didn't really spend a lot of time on two-year schools because you only have a student maybe for a year there and so the investment is just really quick all the time because you have so much turnover at schools also two-year schools a lot of times are commuter schools that's also harder to get people out to meetings harder to get people out to do things uh it's just a, a difficult difficult thing uh i fortunately i didn't really pick schools like that I wasn't really strategizing about it, and I would just go wherever I was told. And so I talked about this yesterday. It seems silly if you go somewhere and it doesn't seem like it's going to be fruitful or whatever, but how do you know? You don't. And so I would just go wherever I was told. So I remember I went out there to Cobleskill, and it was like people were waiting for me when I got there. Now, this wasn't true most places I ever went. 
I go on the campuses and and the administration would fight me tooth and nail. People would just be like coming up against what I'm doing. The other Christians on campus didn't want me there. I mean, it was it was always a story, always a story. I showed up to this place. It was like they were waiting for me. Like like, hey, you want a room? Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, we got all these students here. They're really interested in what you're doing. We'll send them your way. Awesome. And I mean, it was always instantaneous that I started showing up there, and there was a group there, like immediately. And there was a room to meet in. And the administration, anything we could do to help you get the group established? Like, do you need some sample constitutions or anything like that, you know, so we can get it going? Yeah, they were super helpful, super nice. It was, it was awesome. And, and so I got all these kids that were part of it that just fell into it right from the start. And they had great ideas, and they were running stuff, and they were super motivated. It was almost too good to be true. I mean, if you know, hey, hey, you've been you're kind of grinding away at something for a long time, and then you fall into something that just absolutely works, like easily. Well, this is one of those things; it just worked. And so I got there. I mean, these people. I remember uh, one of the first things they did first semester: like, we need jackets. Let's have some jackets made. And so they had all these jackets made, like with the name of the group on it and everything, and their names embroidered on the front. And they made me one, so I had a jacket. I mean, it was just so awesome. Anyway, guess what I'm trying to get at? And sometimes it's easy, and most of the time it's not. And, and that's just how it goes. And this is one of those times it wasn't easy to start with. And so Paul's reminding them about, it's like, you know what? God was loving you before I ever got there. And he was loving you the first time I got ran out of town. And he was loving you when we went back and we continued to preach the gospel. And he was loving you when you came to know Jesus. And he was loving you when you established the church. And he's still loving you now. And he was reminding them of that. That his love, no matter what it looks like on the outside, like from Paul's perspective, or what it looks like from their perspective, or however you want to see this, his love doesn't really change. Our perspective might change, but he doesn't really change. The way we see things might change, but he doesn't really change. And so it just, it just really begs us to begin to see things from his perspective or allow our minds to begin to come around into what he's actually doing. And sometimes that means that we're not looking at what's going on on the outside, but we're in faith, accepting what's going on on the inside, what he's actually doing in the hearts and minds, in the spirits of people that he's just pouring out his love into. I think if we can begin to see what he's doing, instead of just being ruled by what we're seeing, that we can get into line better and we can put ourselves in a better position to be effective for the work of the kingdom because we're lining up with really what he's doing instead of what we're necessarily seeing or experiencing. And I just feel like that puts us in a position of faith. And that's really where we want to be. So he talks about bringing the good news. That's the first line of this. He, he mentions bringing the good news or, or preaching the gospel. And I just want to say this uh, this has just come up in the last few days. That's our job, to preach the gospel. 
That's our job. That, that God, in His wisdom, has entrusted that job to us. And it's nothing to look at and say, well, that's not important. It is important. I can remember years ago, and I'm going to be careful what I say here because I know it's being recorded and sent and I don't want it to be misunderstood. But years ago, I used to get in trouble about not being on board with everything that's going on in society. Now, it's not that I'm unaware of what's going on in society, and I'll make comments every now and then just to irritate people, but it's not that I don't know. But the, the real issue becomes, what are we going to invest our time and effort into? It's like, we are not a political organization. I don't know what your politics are. I don't want to know what your politics are. I don't know what political party you're a part of. I don't care. I don't want to know. I don't want to know any of that stuff. Because the one thing I do know is that we, I, have been entrusted with preaching the gospel and making disciples. That I do know. And if we want to see any lasting change in our society, it's going to be through people coming to know Jesus one at a time and making a decision for Christ. And that's the only way I know to see a change in society is for that to happen. I don't know anything else. I've never seen a great awakening. Never. I've read about them. I've read about what God can do. I've read about the things that God does. I've I've read about how God moves on whole groups and whole areas and whole geographic areas of people and things change all at once. I've read about that. I believe that can happen. I've never seen it. What I have seen, though are people, individuals, that come to know Jesus, they come into a place where they come into a relationship with God, and they begin individually to change their heart, change their minds in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I see change on that kind of a level. And if enough people are changing on that kind of a level, change will come into whatever it is that we're worried about changing, society, whatever that is. But my job, as far as I'm concerned, is to preach the gospel. Because as bad as things are, in whatever time era that you want to talk about, they've been worse. They've just been worse. And and maybe I'm just a crotchety old guy, but I've been alive long enough to have seen some pretty bad times. And times that rival this or were worse than this, even in my lifetime, which isn't that long. But you look in Bible times, and and you just get a a historical hold on what's happened through Bible times. Think about the early church. What was the early church born into? The early church was born into uh, the Roman government, which was a dictatorship that was ruling over the land where the gospel was born. So they were subject to the whims of a Caesar and a corrupt senate and a bunch of Romans that ruled by their own power and by their own might and by violence and by fear. That's who was there. That's what was going on. And so they were extracting taxes out of people. They were, they were imposing their rule over people. That's just the way it was. These people were not living in freedom. There was no such thing as name whatever rights you think we have. Freedom of speech? They didn't have freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. They didn't have freedom of religion, necessarily. 
All the things. Did they have the right to bear arms? No. You know, all the rights we think, all these things. It's like the gospel was born into a more oppressive situation than anything we've ever experienced. And that was just Bible times. As the church began to grow and the Roman Empire began to change, what you began to see is Christians were persecuted. People were being killed for their faith. Well, how were they being killed? In nice, humane ways like crucifixion? No. They were being fed to lions. Alive. They were being burned as torches. You read about the early churches, you read about some of the, the, the ways those people died, the horrid ways they were hunted down like animals. You think that things are bad. Things were worse. And that was the early church. That was Bible times. You can go back in the Old Testament and see things were worse there too. Okay, so move past Bible times. Look at, the, just look at history. Just, a, just a, a simple survey of history. And you go down through history. Have things been worse than they are now? Of course they have. Has the church survived? Yeah. Have believers believed? Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. You think about even just go back to World War II. That wasn't that long ago. It just wasn't that long ago. I was raised by a man, by two men that fought in World War II. They raised me directly. But you go back to World War II, you got a guy like by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He he is all he's doing is preaching the gospel and he's raising up pastors in Germany. That's what he does. He spoke out against what he thought was wrong. He refused to go along with whatever was going on there. He was going to preach the gospel, he was going to do what he was supposed to do. They put him in jail and they hung him by the neck until he was dead. Are things worse now than that? No. No. So, all I'm trying to say is, is that, yeah, there's always perspective. Yeah, there's always perspective. And, and the fact of the matter is, no matter what your perspective is, is it bad, then it's bad. Okay, you can think of it any way you want. I'm not trying to tell you how to think about things. All I'm trying to tell you is this, is that as the church, and I'm talking about the church, we have a job, and that's to preach the gospel and make disciples. And so I'm going to major on that. I can still do that. All right? Things have not gotten to the point where I can't do that. And if they do get to that point, we're going to do it anyway. How do you know that? Because we have. How do you know that? Because we have missionaries in places that are doing that right now. How do you know? I really believe that. Because I send my friends to places like that, and they put their lives on the line to do it. Because that's our job. And so I guess I'm not... I guess I'm fairly passionate about this only in this way, and I want you to understand me, is that I'm not going to defend a lack of political activism. I am not going to defend a lack of political comment. I'm not going to defend any of those things because I don't think that's our job. You want to do that? Do it. You got a vision for that? Go get it. I, I, have I stopped you yet, really? I mean, people got vision to do weird stuff. Have I stopped them? Why would I start with you? You want to go do that? Go ahead. But as a church, I just don't see that as our job. And so Paul, he, he looks at these Thessalonians and he's like, well, we brought you the good news. Well, because that's his job. That's our job. That's the church's job. It's the gospel. It's been entrusted to us. But the thing he says here, and the thing I want you to get a hold of is the way he describes it. Because it's not just a hearing. 
It's not just information being passed. That that's not it. And there there was a time when I was first a Christian where that's what the gospel was. It was just information being passed. And it was it was people telling you how to do that more effectively. We can help you be a better communicator and effectively pass this information to the people around you. In fact, we can put it in written form and we can make them small little pamphlets that you can carry with you that will exactly say what you can't say, but you can just show them the pamphlet and it will effectively communicate exactly the, what needs to be said the way it needs to be said and everyone will agree with you if you do this and you follow these instructions. That's what the gospel became. But that's not what the gospel is. And it was never meant to become that. Because it's more than hearing, it's more than just understanding, it's more than assent. In other words, it's more than just somebody to say, oh yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, good. The gospel has to be more than that. Because it is. And Paul is telling the Thessalonians, it is more than that. And, and, and they got off to a rough start, okay. But it still was going to be more than that. It was more than just him effectively arguing in the synagogue. It was more than him effectively convincing people and persuading them. It was more than just the words he used. It was more than any of those things. Because what he said here, it says there has to be, there has to be an awakening of the mind, an awakening of the spirit, an awakening of the heart. And the only way that's going to happen is in the power of God. That's how it happens. And so if we're going to be effective with the gospel, and we're going to be effective disciple makers, and we're going to be effective in doing what God's called us to do, it's going to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has an impressive, powerful effect on people. And we need Him to do that. For anything we do to be effective. Every, every, training I received as a young Christian was how to communicate more effectively to present the gospel. Every single one of them. It just had to do with say it this way. Say it that way. Show them this picture and it's going to work. And what I found out was, and you can think to yourself, say, then how did our model come out of that? Our model came out of that out of complete and utter desperation for anything that made any sense and anything that worked. That's where it came from. Because that that didn't work. That wasn't it. That wasn't what needed to happen. It, and it, it became obvious because that's what you kept up. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. No. No. No, we need a demonstration of the power of God in order for people's hearts and people's minds to be awakened to what we're saying. The words are the words. They're there. But they've got to mean something. They've got to be backed by something bigger than just our opinion. There's got to be some power involved in that. And as soon as that became obvious, it completely revolutionized the way they were going to go about presenting the gospel. That's what happened. Because we just couldn't do it anymore. And it wasn't that we weren't faithful at it. 
We met for evangelism. I think I've told you guys this. We met for evangelism for years. I'm not talking like one year. Not even two years. Lots of years. And there would be years that would pass before we would ever pray with anybody. Years. And it wasn't from a lack of doing it. Because we would meet every single week and go out and do it. Until one day, and I don't remember what day it was or what happened. I, I can tell you, I, I think I believe that there was a major change that took place one year when we were invited to go and we decided to do evangelism at the World University Games. Some of you would remember this. Because the World University Games were held in Buffalo. And that year at the University of Buffalo. And different uh, venues all around Buffalo. And so we just, it was in the summer, and we were just like, we're going to go do this. And it was at one of those events that the foundational teachings were first taught. And then we went out, and we had expectation for the power of God to really just fall on what we were doing. And, and God just moved. And hundreds of people prayed to know Jesus at the World University Games from around the world. And if that wasn't the first time, it was sometime around that time. I don't know when. But there's always a moment something changes, right? There's always a moment where something changes and something happens. And that was one of those moments. And so the power... And I'm going to have you, uh, someone read 1 Corinthians 4.20. 1 Corinthians 4.20. But I have come, oh, sorry, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. All right. Or if you, you remove some of the words that aren't in the Greek there. For the kingdom of God isn't a matter of talk, but of power. Yeah. So, he mentions here power. And what he's mentioning here, he doesn't talk about any specific miracle here. He doesn't describe any miracle. He doesn't describe any specific thing that happens. Any word of prophecy, any word of knowledge that happens. He doesn't describe any of those things right here. All he just says is in power. Because what he's describing isn't about specific miracles. That's not what he's describing. But what he's describing has to do with the effects of that power on the people that that power is unleashed on. And it was the effect of that, because it wasn't just instruction, it wasn't eloquent instruction, it wasn't any of those things, but it was a speaking and an acting with power, with anointing, with the work of the Holy Spirit. It was a quickening, a bringing to life. A union of spirit, divine spirit, and human spirit is what's being described. Because if you really want to think about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you want to think about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about a union between the divine, a divine spirit 
and a human spirit. And it's that union that brings that power into whatever conversation or whatever thing is being said or done. And so when Paul describes this, he's describing this idea is like, yeah, the gospel is being preached in power. And, and again, not specific miracles, even though there probably were specific miracles. Not with specific types of gifts, but there were, I'm sure, specific types of gifts involved. But that wasn't what he was trying to describe. That was what he was reminding them of. He was reminding them, it was like, yeah, we preach this gospel in power, talking about the effect that that had on them. That a church was established. That lives were changed. That disciples were made. That leadership was raised up. That people were trained in, in what they needed to know. And that they took over the work of the ministry. That's what happened. The effects of that power, the effects of that anointing, the effects of that gospel being preached in that power brought about a change in that city, in that region that left a church established, a leadership in place, a congregation meeting and worshiping together, and an evangelizing, powerful body going about the work of Christ there. That's what happened. That was the effect. And that's what he wanted them to remember. How did this affect you? And that's how it did. So he talks here about full assurance. And the idea of full assurance is that full assurance, what we call that when the Holy Spirit gives full assurance. I'm going to use a word here, and I want you to just think about it for a second. I'm going to use the word conviction. That the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Now, we think of that a lot of times in terms of convicting of sin. But it's, it's, it's the idea behind conviction is that it's a full assurance. When someone's con convicted of a crime, the idea of them being convicted is that there's a full assurance that they did it. And so, therefore, they're going to be punished for it. Or rehabilitated, or however you want to look at that, Okay. But if the idea of conviction is the ideal of full assurance. In other words, if the Holy Spirit convicts you of a sin, you can be fully assured that you're committed to that sin and you need to stop. So I, instead of thinking of it necessarily as a negative thing, conviction also is a very positive thing because it brings us into a place where we just know. We just know. And, and I've found that really not living in the place where you know isn't really a, a positive or solid thing. And I know sometimes you prefer to not know. I understand that. There are certain things I don't want to know. And I've, uh, I've lived by that principle a long time. I don't want to know. But there are also certain times that I need to know. And when that gets bad is when the times that I need to know is stuff I don't want to know. You kind of understand what I'm saying? So there's things that I might need to know that I don't want to know, but that's just how it goes. And when it comes to the things of God, uh, you, you know, if you want to do something in your life, let's say you want to just go about whatever it is you want to do. What's that you want to do? I don't know. Okay. In fact, this is one of those moments, I don't want to know. Okay. I, I, I just don't. So, but you're, you want to do something. And you've got an inkling, an inkling 
then maybe God doesn't want you doing that. Now, if you want to keep doing it, what's the best position you can possibly put yourself in without going full-out rebellion? What's the best position? What is it? You got, you know, ignorance, right. Ignorance. All right, so, so you just stay in that ignorant place. Like, I don't, I'm not convicted of this. I don't, I don't fully know. I got an inkling about it, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. That's not very healthy. Just letting you know that. That's not really healthy. Because that inkling, you know, that's that little thing that you need to listen to sometimes. I mean, lots of times. You need to listen to that thing. Because it's that thing that's leading you to the place of freedom. Or that's that thing that's leading you to the place of health or wholeness. It's that thing that's leading you out of darkness. It's that thing that's leading you to a, a better place for your life. And even though there's something in you that wants to just keep doing what you're doing, we need to come to a place of full conviction in our lives to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. This is bad for me. This is bad for the people around me. It's time to stop. And again, I'm not saying it's any particular thing, and I'm not picking on any particular person right here, because I don't know and I don't want to know, but I'm just saying that that's how it works. That's just how it works. And, and I know that works in my life, and, and I've caught myself living on the edge of ignorance. Why? Because I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. Well, it's just not a healthy place to be. And you start thinking about it in terms of, who am I hurting? I'm hurting me, but who else am I hurting through doing that too? Who else am I hurting through just, just tight-roping that thing? Doing what I know I'm not supposed to be doing or I don't think I'm supposed to be doing but not really fully thinking it through. And I think you understand what I'm talking about here. So, so this full assurance is a conviction that we're right or that we're wrong. But the idea behind it and what he's telling them here is that the power of God that was manifest in their midst when he was preaching the gospel brought a conviction that that was right. It was right enough, and they were convicted enough and convinced enough that it was right that they put their families on the line, and they put their livelihoods on the line, and they put their lives on the line in order to start that church, in order to make disciples, in order to preach the gospel and evangelize other people. That's how convinced they were. And what Paul was saying about that was that this is how this takes place. That this takes place through us doing what we're called to do. What's that? Preach the gospel. What's that? Preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. What's that? Preach the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing the effects of what that is on people's lives in full conviction that what we're saying and what we're doing is right. And it's through that conviction that people will will do whatever they need to do. They'll drop their nets and follow Jesus. They will drop their money bags and follow Jesus. They will get up from their homes and leave their families and follow Jesus. Just like the disciples did when Jesus called them. That's what happens. But it's that conviction that will lead people to those kind of radical decisions. 
And I know I'm not supposed to talk like that because I'm supposed to lead people into measured and rational decisions. Well, that's not how the kingdom's built. The kingdom is not built around the world in, in 2023 by measured and rational decisions. The kingdom is being built by people who are convicted, who are fully convinced of the Holy Spirit that what they're doing is the right thing and the thing for them. That's how the kingdom is being built. And those are radical, crazy decisions sometimes. And I'm going on record, I'm all for it. Because that's how I know and I've seen the gospel preached and the gospel be effective around the world. That's what I know. So I, I give you that. And I give you that Paul is speaking to them, leaving no doubt. Leaving no doubt. Because you know what the gospel, the Holy Spirit brings a, a general witness to truth. And it's a general truth. But the thing that is different about the Holy Spirit bringing power to the gospel is that he brings a personal application of the gospel to each one of us. I mean, it's one thing for me to proclaim a truth and the Holy Spirit witness to that and say, yeah, that's the truth. All right. Yeah, but what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? It's one thing to say, it's one thing to agree with the truth. Yeah, well, how are you going to live that? What does that mean? How does that apply to you? I mean, the, you know, 90% of the church does nothing because they can't seem to apply what it means to them. They'll agree with whatever you want to say about the gospel. Man, they will amen you and they will agree with you and they'll even throw money your way. But what does it mean to them? What does that look like when that truth gets a hold of their life? What does that mean? Well, if it doesn't mean action, then I don't know what it means. And that's why 90% of the church sits around waiting for 10% of the church to do all the work. Because they're happy hearing and assenting to the truth and saying, Amen, brother, and throwing some money our way. Awesome. But they're not going to put their hand to the plow. Just not going to do it because it's inconvenient. Well, Andy, I got kids. I know. I know. You don't think any of these guys in the Bible had kids? I mean, Peter had a mother in law. How do you get a mother in law? <laughs> right? So Peter had a wife. You ever hear about her? I don't. He's gallivanting around with Jesus for three years. Now, am I endorsing or, or not endorsing? I'm not telling you anything. All I'm telling you is people have these things. They say, well, I've got the family. I've got this. I've got... Well, yeah, I understand it. So did those guys. Jesus had a word for those guys. Well, first let me go and bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. Come and follow me. And you can go down the list and I can give you enough excuses for it and I can tell you why it's okay and I can excuse you from doing whatever it is you don't want to do. I know all those arguments. But it's not me that you really have to worry about. It's your response to the gospel. It's your response to Jesus 
It's your response to the Holy Spirit applying that word into your life, the personal application of that. So I'm going to read Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16. All right. You see, that verse talks about strengthening you where? On the inside, right? He's interested in strengthening you on the inside. And that and that's the Spirit's job. That's what the Spirit does. That's part of the work of the Holy Spirit, strengthening you on the inside. And understand, do you understand how that's not just nodding your head and saying amen? Do you understand that, that that's more than just giving your assent to some truth? God loves the world. Amen, brother. Well, what about God loves you? And you need to experience that love and you need to live in that love. That love needs to be a part of your everyday life and your everyday existence. See, it's one thing to say, Amen, brother, he loves everybody. Well, there's another thing to really begin to radically accept and live in the love that he has for you. And not reject that love and not resist that love and not put your hand up to that love but to actually allow Him to love you in your life. That, that's, a different, that's a whole different thing. But the work of the Holy Spirit is making that love real to you so that you can live in it and you can find peace and rest in it. So you're not looking for love in all the wrong places, but you're recognizing the love that is already there and is bigger and better than anything you're ever going to find anywhere else. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. The strengthening of the inner man is that I'm going to change. I'm going to change. That word that I'm hearing, that's going to change me inside. That, that call that I'm hearing, that's going to change me inside. That's going to affect something in me. And I'm going to be strengthened inside of me. And, and then that's going to do something miraculous or weird or powerful or strange on the outside that people are going to not and they're going to understand or not understand. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You see, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the role that He plays is a role in the power of God towards salvation. You look at Romans one sixteen. You can look at the full assurance, the love of God, the Holy Spirit working in us, Colossians 2.2. 2. The work of the Holy Spirit in hope, Hebrews 6.11. I mean, all those things are all the stuff that the world's looking for and wants and needs. And man, they, they break their back trying to find it and get it. And the Holy Spirit, He's who makes it real. And so at the end of this passage, Paul, end of this verse, Paul's talking to the church, and he says this, that we lived it out. We lived it out with you guys. 
that it's one thing we preached it. It's another thing the power of God was manifest. Miracle signs, wonders, confirming His word. You all responded. Something happened inside of you that changed you. And so we saw that work of the Holy Spirit take place and then we lived it out with you. We showed you how to do it. So we're just going to live it out. A demonstration of the Spirit, the power of God. So we look at 1 Corinthians 2.4. First Corinthians two four. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Yeah, yeah. Paul, uh, we don't know if he was any good or not preaching. Uh, we do know he killed a young man with his preaching. Uh, you know the story, where he was out preaching late at night and. There's a young man sitting in a window, and Paul was so exciting that night in his teaching and preaching, the guy fell asleep. He fell out the window and died. He hit the ground and died. Paul had to go down there and raise him from the dead. So we don't know much about his preaching and teaching. That may be a negative example. I don't know. But we don't know if he, he was that good or he's bad or anything else. But he does say here in 1 Corinthians 2.4, he's like, I didn't come to you with, elo- you know, with eloquent words. It wasn't that. And it wasn't all persuasive speech, and it wasn't any of that. It was a demonstration of God's power. Because whatever he said, however he said it, boring, funny, good, bad, whatever, it needed to be applied into their lives. And that, is a demonstration of power. That's why. They had to have demonstration of power to apply that word into their lives. We have, because the church has no power anymore, all we got are words. And I want to encourage you that it's not about the words. It's just not. I mean, people worship the Bible now. That's a weird thing. To me. I always thought it was a weird thing. I mean, I when I was on the circuit speaking, I'd have to go to Christian schools every now and then and do some talking. And I'd be there every now and then because they'd have chapel services, so I'd be there for their opening ceremony for the day. And they'd pledge allegiance to the Bible. You ever do that? You ever hear that? Yeah, they'd pledge allegiance to they would pledge allegiance to the American flag, the Christian flag, and to the Bible as part of the part of the everyday thing. And not growing up in that, right? I'm sitting there like, whoa. I didn't know. I just didn't know. Because I hadn't seen it before. But it occurred to me, even back then, it's like, well, when you run out of power, all you got are words. 
That's what you got. And that wasn't the way the church was called to operate. The church is called to operate in power. The words, you know, I mean, we got to have the words. That's why we got Bibles and stuff. I mean, I read the Bible. I, I believe in that. I try, I mean, I, I've read through the Bible once a year for a lot of years. So, I, I mean, I have value for that. I have value to know the Word of God. I have value to know what the Bible says. Yeah, sure. But it can't be all we got. It can't be all we got to be great public speakers. That can't be it. It can't be all we got just to have the words. We got to have the power. You got to have the power. I got to have the power. And it's that power that number one is going to apply that word into my life, but it's also going to apply that word into the people's lives that we're ministering to, that we're discipling to doing stuff that God's called us to do. And so, we need to be clothed with power. You need to be clothed with power. I need to be clothed with power. Not only to receive everything God's saying and doing, but be able to deliver that into the world that is all around us. The opportunities that we see every day, the opportunities that are before us. We need to be clothed in power. So I'll take a few moments and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. And just ask God to clothe you with some power tonight. I mean, you got a simple verse here. I know I talked on it for an hour, but it's really not that complicated. The whole thing is not that complicated. The whole thing revolves around us moving in the power of God and living in the power of God. That's what it revolves around. And so there's no real complication to that. The only part of that that's even remotely difficult is just doing it. It's just like living it out. Is allowing the, the power of God to flow through you. Is allowing the power of God to apply His Word into your life. Allowing the power of God to anoint your words and anoint the things that you do and the places that you go. And just finding that place with Him. Most people in here, many of you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Live it. Live it out. Live that out. You didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit to to pray in your prayer closet. You received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I mean, when they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the first thing they did was run outside and start telling everybody they could find. Right? That that's the that that is the reaction to that is the manifestation of that is the power of God in active form of why you've been filled with the Holy Spirit that's exactly what they did so use it live it exercise it anything you don't exercise just shrivels up and dies exercise it exercise Let's take a few moments. I'm just going to uh, have you uh, just respond to that in your spirit, and I'll pray for you. But just listen to the Holy Spirit right now. Just take a moment listen to the Holy Spirit. What's He saying to you? What's He bringing to mind? What's He convincing you of right now? 
your need to. His desire for your life is. His call on you is. Preaching the gospel, what? Just let that happen. What is the Holy Spirit bring full assurance of in your life tonight? What are you being convinced of? What are you being convicted of? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, I pray that tonight that you would wake us up. And I pray, if some of us have been asleep for a while, uh, just to be woken up, that, that that's just not good enough. <laughs> that's not what we're called to. That's not our life. Uh, that's, not, that's not it. That, that sleeping at the wheel is not uh, where you want us. But you have a job for each of us. Preach the gospel. What's that going to look like? Well, it depends on where we're at and what we're doing. But that's our job, to preach the gospel, make disciples. And so I'd ask that you begin to just shake us awake uh, right where we're at, right, right in the things that we're involved in, the things that we're doing. Just begin to shake us awake in our spirit that we're there for a reason. It might be a bigger reason than we realize. That we know those people for a reason. It might be a bigger reason than we realize. That we've been given opportunities in our life for bigger reasons than we realize. We've received promotion in our life. Why? For bigger reasons than we're ever exercising now and that we may never ever realize unless we allow the Holy Spirit to bring that conviction into our life. This is why you're here. This is what I have for you. These are the people that you're called to. This is your moment. This is your time. You have nothing better to do than this. You have nowhere better to be than here. And this is what I have for you to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just ask God that we'd be convinced of what you have. Be convinced of what you want to do. Be convinced of our role, our purpose, your plan for our lives. Even if we don't have the details right this second, we'd be convinced that this is what you have for us and this is who we are. Yeah. God, I thank you that you're still moving by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that the divine is still joining with the human. The natural is still joining with the supernatural. I thank you that our spirit is still joining with your spirit. Yeah. Move, God. Move, God. I thank you that you're pouring out your gifts. You're still doing that. Move, God. I thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of God in our lives. I have to say, move, God. Move, God. God, I'm just crying out for more. I'm crying out for more in my life. I'm crying out for more power in my life. I'm crying out for more fruit in my life. I'm crying out for more of you in my life, more of the moving of your Holy Spirit in my life, more power in my life. I'm crying out for that. I'm crying out, God, to see more of you manifest in and through my life. 
I'm crying out for demonstration of your power. I'm crying out, God, for the manifestation of that power. I'm crying out, God, for the fruit of what that power looks like in the lives of other people. I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to live in that, God. I want to live in it. Thanks, Lord. Thanks, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, God, I pray for a harvest. A harvest in our midst, God. Men, women, and children. To know you. And I pray you'd use us. As your evangelists. As your prophets pastors, your teachers, your apostles. The fields are white under harvest. Send us, God, into those fields. Thanks, Lord. I give you thanks tonight. Ask God that you continue to, to speak, continue to inspire. Uh, I pray we continue to respond to you. Ask it in Jesus' name. Let's by saying amen. 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 Uh, good to see everybody tonight. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways. So musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. Yeah. 